0: welcome to the woot and why NFL podcast proudly brought to you by William Hill where you'll find faster easier betting on the NFL Roger Strabble. All things NFL. Now
1: here's your hosts, Woot and Y. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of the Woot and Y show. I am Josh Y, and for I think it's like the third straight show now. RJ Achoer is joining us on the show again. I'll, I'll explain why right now. Actually, it's just a hectic week down under here for uh, for Woot and I. We both uh, attended Coldplay last night. Uh, it was sensational. Chris Martin is just, uh, just I can't explain it how good of a showman he is and a stage man he is. And then I've got my Christmas party tonight while Woods at work, so we just couldn't get a time where we could all be together. And uh, all the equipment's at my place, so I, I shot RJ a text and he's my savior and he uh, saved my bacon this week so that we could provide a podcast for you. And welcome back to the to the show, RJ. It's good to have you.
2: Hey, I appreciate it. I' uh, Going for that hat trick, although not a fan of hockey, but I have seen the Mighty Ducks about 100 times, and uh, I'm excited to be here. I, I like, you know, I'm, I'm not in your place physically, but I can sense the warmth uh, from the Y household. It
1: is very warm. It's the Australian summer, so you're right. I've got the aircon blasting, so it's actually quite chilly in, in here. It's nice. I like the cold, though. I'm more of a fan of the cold. And a hat trick, you know, that's not bad reference from you. Uh, it's a cricket reference as well. So a bit of Australian coming out in you... Uh, RJ, so it's pretty good speaking of games and things the Pro Bowl they've uh, announced this week that there's going to be mini games skill set games and and dodgeball are you a fan of
2: that I am an enormous fan of this I I think it speaks to the nostalgia in all of us I think we all remember the the skills competitions that used to go on and you know you and I have talked before how we kind of you know grew up with in the Madden era of things and I remember even the skills challenges on there and just enjoying that um, you know that little Exactly, and so um, I, I'm excited. And and the Pro Bowl really, really lacks. The Pro Bowl is like I don't want to say steak, but it's like a like a piece of salmon with absolutely no seasoning. And so now we're we're throwing some paprika on there. We're throwing some you know some seasoned salt, some different sorts of things, and it's uh it's going to taste quite nice come uh, come early February.
1: Yeah, I'm interested to see uh, how that all pans out. Dodgeball, obviously, I'm not sure how they're going to do that, but I I am. Huge fan of the movie and uh, and will would, they
2: will they use footballs? You think that'd be alright? That yeah, that would be interesting,
1: and it would favor the quarterback, so who can just throw cannons? Like imagine Colin Kaepernick, although his aim is not the best, but um, you know <laughs> that would be uh, that would be quite a sight to see. Uh, I, I was going to say Tom Brady, but that guy never attends the Pro Bowl um so let's let's be honest there uh one other thing before we get straight into the news uh i am seeing rogue one tonight after my christmas party there's a midnight screening i got invited by a few of my buddies so i'm gonna ask you rj should i drink how much drink should i have before i attend a movie because i don't want to go into this you know too intoxicated but i don't want to be the uh the old sober boring person at my christmas party
2: well here's how i feel and i'm gonna be incredibly narcissistic about it um because that's how i roll sometimes so rogue one ro RJ Ochoa those are my initials. Yeah, um so this is all this is all about me. Rogue One also the 8th if you want to qualify as that Star Wars movie technically. Yep. Um 8 in Spanish, I'm Hispanic here is ocho just like Ochoa.
1: I'm so also I, born on the 8th of the 8th. Just
2: There so and that's true. And so I think that you have to be having your 8th drink or shot or however you want it to be right before you enter the theater. So okay. you've got to top out at 8.
1: All right, I'll top out at eight. I think that's a good plan, and uh, let's roll into some NFL news. All right, we're going to start in L.A., and to uh, talk about the L.A. Rams news, I'm going to get our, uh, our friend on the line, Max Quinn. He's a listener of the show, a big Rams fan. He actually attended a Rams game this year. I feel sorry for him um, for having to sit through that, and uh, let's get him on the line.
0: California, here we come back where we started
1: from California California Here we come. Max Quinn, are you on the Wooden Washer
0: my friends, hello, I can't believe
1: I'm on the Woot and Why show. Uh, no Woot this week, it's uh, just Y and our friend from uh, Texas, RJ Ed Shower, who is also on Skype. I've never done a three-way Skype before, so this is uh, breaking ground here on the Woot and Why show. So RJ, meet Max, Max meet RJ, this is, this is phenomenal stuff right here.
2: It's a pleasure, Max, so wonderful nice to, time to meet for you. for us all. Yeah. Hello. That's,
1: that's the one thing that, uh, you know, three-way chat on Skype. We get people talking about at the same time. But anyway, let's, um, let's get into <laughs> it, Max. Uh, obviously the Rams fired Jeff Fisher and obviously we'll get RJ to weigh in as well because I'm sure, you know, you know, the, the guy that Jeff Fisher is, we all have opinions on it. But, uh, I, I do find it really funny that the guy gets fired three days before he was set to become the most coach, the most losingest coach in NFL history. I also find it funny that the Rams, um, probably a bad decision to fire your coach two and a half days before a Thursday night football game or three and a half days before a Thursday night football day. But in terms of the overall decision, I think it's a great decision. Max, uh, weigh us in on your thoughts and then I'll speak with you, RJ.
0: Well, I think that like it went from being a really dire time to be a Rams fan to now being a really exciting time to be a Rams fan again. This season has just been such a trudge through mud and oh it's been it's been awful to be a rams fan this year and to watch this team with so much excitement moving to california and then to just die in the ass as they've done this year it's it's been awful but all of a sudden you know there's a renewed sense of optimism Uh, I'm excited. I'm I'm looking forward to Jim Harbaugh being the next coach of this team.
1: Oh, please. He's coming to Indy to work with a real quarterback in Andrew Luck. (laughs) Um, Let's be honest there. But you're right. I think when you look at it, this is the the one thing that I like is I'm happy for Jared Goff and I'm happy for Todd Gurley. Todd Gurley frustrated after that game on the weekend. Said the Rams look like a middle school offense. I've never seen Gurley like that. He's normally full of energy, very bubbly. But moving forward, this is great for Jared Goff and Todd Gurley and the young core because it, it energizes them. Uh, would you agree, RJ?
2: Absolutely. And you look at it, it almost, I think we all knew it had to end in a similar fashion to this. It was sort of, you know, pre, predestined. And there is something to the notion of, of the Rams, I mean, migrating west, west in, in the United States, obviously, and and west beginning anew down, you know, to the early stages of America, and 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 trying to find their identity. And and I agree with Max. I mean, it is an exciting time. This is a a team that moved to the second largest media capital in, in the United States of America holds the number one overall draft pick and Jared Goff, and this is the most exciting thing to happen to them. That's how, you know, mediocre Jeff Fisher has been. It feels like the Phoenix truly has died, and the Ashes will will be uh, a little bit dispersed across the remainder of 2016, but 2017 marks the rise.
1: I uh, could not agree more with you, and, uh, you know, this is just how dire it's been for the Rams this season. The Falcons have actually scored one more touchdown Uh, than the Rams this season. They did it in one game. The Rams have had four in L.A. And then the Rams' first ten possessions this Sunday was an interception, then a touchdown to the Falcons. Punt, punt, punt. Interception, touchdown. Punt, punt, punt. Fumble, fumble, touchdown. That's all to the Falcons, those touchdowns. So that's just absolutely dire. And then I saw a stat today that said Bill Belichick could go winless in his next six seasons and still have a better record than Jeff Fisher throughout his <laughs> career, which, um, you know, that's just the whole thing in itself. It's just unbelievable. So if, you know, if Jared Goff can, you know, be be as lucky as Tom Brady and maybe land someone that could be the next Bill Belichick, things are pointing in the right direction. But, Max, how are you going to remember the Jeff Fisher era? Is there something that stands out to you um, as, you know, the most Jeff Fisher moments of moments?
0: The moment of moments, I feel like it's all come in the last few weeks where everything has just come together in this beautiful disgusting mess that we've seen where he's reaching into his pocket on the sidelines and he can't find his challenge (laughs) flag. And then after the game, he says, Oh, well, I'll take that one and then we'll try and do better. And like every, it's every game. And it's so frustrating. Do you know the statistic apart from the Falcons now having scored more touchdowns at the Coliseum than the Rams have uh, it in the last nine games, their turnover margin is negative 15.
1: That's ugly. That is so,
0: it's so ugly. Yeah.
1: It's it is absolutely brutal, and and Kevin uh, Demoff, the uh, CEO of the Rams, said that Jeff Jeff Fisher's firing was, uh, you know, an organizational failure. So the natural question to ask now is: is there going to be other changes in the organization? Um, could you see some changes? Maybe uh, Les Snead out uh, out the door as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, I really reckon like it could be time to completely clean house. Les Snead was a guy that Jeff Fisher kind of brought in uh as he was hired in 2012 to sort of be his like his 1b to fish 1a but it's really like i think it could be time i think that we could probably see uh the defensive coordinator greg, greg williams out of there as well and obviously rob boris who exists as a human being uh for some reason in the nfl uh yeah he's gone
1: i think mr boris from celebrity apprentice in australia would be better suited to the role <laughs> uh personally but uh we'll wait and see how that pans out but uh We'll, we'll wait and see. Uh, as as a guy that's very mediocre at my job and, and hosts a very mediocre podcast, I I aspire to have the sustained success of Jeff Fisher. So I'm going to miss him from that part. Uh, RJ, is there anything you're going to miss about Jeff Fisher?
2: Well, I think that for me, you know, the, the signature moment of of Jeff Fisher's reign, and, and this might be across his whole career, and you know, no recency bias here, but it's his hard knocks moment. His hard knocks moment. Yes, you oh. know, sort of sort of calling his shot in the the fallout from that i mean if if anybody had said that you know people make declarations all the time rex ryan lives off of them but there was something particularly uh particularly weird particularly jeff fishery about that whole sequence and and to watch that come you know just ultimately crashing down the way we all knew it would was was very very interesting but um yep. but jeff fisher hey happy trails
1: yep and i think he'll never coach again in the NFL, but uh, you know we wish him the best. I, oh, not really, but I don't really care. But uh, I hope he, I hope he enjoys his retirement and fly fishing. Like the opening scene of Hard Knocks, I still think he's a, he's not a bad. Not a bad bloke. Um, there's certainly worse people out there, worse head coaches out there, college football and in the NFL uh, than Jeff Fisher in terms of... Uh, Gus Bradley. Yeah, personality and, and genuinity and, and things like that. I don't even know if that's a word. But uh, while we got you on the line, Max, and uh, because the Rams are playing in Thursday Night Football, we're going to uh, preview that game.
0: This week's NFL lines are brought to you by William Hill. Faster, easier betting.
1: All right, so Thursday night football. We've got the Rams traveling up to to the Seahawks. We normally do this at the end of the show, but we'll take advantage of Max being on the line here. The Rams are plus 15 at Seattle, minus 15. ninety one each, uh, each way on William Hill. Please gamble responsibly. Uh, that's a huge line. Se- Seattle Seahawks, uh, RJ, we're going to speak about them later on in the show, but uh a totally different team at home and now coming off an embarrassing loss. How do you see this one playing out?
2: Well, I feel like the Seattle Seahawks is kryptonite for all all of time. Apparently, has been Jeff Fisher and the Ironically. Rams. That's what's sort of, <laughs> yeah, that's what's really ironic about this week. And so, I, I think the only people who truly celebrated this more than the city of Los Angeles and and our friend Max here, who I hope is related to Robert Quinn, uh, but are the we're the Seattle Seahawks. And so, look, the Seahawks obviously. You know the the twelves are um, are a special breed, and they'll be the you know they're they're all about the Seahawks and what they are. But it's you know if we didn't know before, it's painfully obvious that they're a different team on the road, a lackluster team on the road, considering how poorly they played at Lambeau Field last week. I mean, I think that the uh, excuse me the Seahawks get back on track here because this is. You know, although I I won't be surprised if if the Rams keep it interesting, because because how how ripple effect ish would it be of Jeff Fisher's Rams to rally around his firing to be excited the way Max is describing the level of excitement? I I think actually that Los Angeles will cover that 15 points per bet just because of how large it is. But I think Seattle gets a win, um, stays uh, stays frisky in the NFC playoff picture.
1: Okay, interesting. Uh, I do want to say this. I did mention a few weeks ago that Jeff Fisher could still have a role in the NFL, and that would be as a consultant for teams about to play the Seattle Seahawks. Um, I think that (laughs) that should gather steam. And Jeff Fisher, if you need an agent, give me a call, because that's probably the best idea anyone's (laughs) had in years in any of your coaching staffs already of your team around you. Uh, Max, your thoughts on this game. Is there a chance, you know, is there a matchup that the Rams can exploit? Look...
0: I want to say yes, but the answer is no. They just uh, The only thing that I can think of, really, at the moment, is that that offensive line of the Seahawks is in a bad way. And we know that offensive lines don't really travel well, or at least bad ones don't. But, uh, yeah, returning home with that crowd, I'm really, like, I'm not feeling positive about the Rams uh, in this game, especially with a fired coach on a two-and-a-half-day uh, break there.
1: Yep. It's, uh, it is is a huge line, and it's, it is is really tempting to take the Rams in this one, but I just I just can't do it with the bounce-back factor for the Seahawks. I do agree with Max in that Aaron Donald could be someone that could really create some havoc and and really do what Gerald McCoy did to the Seahawks a few weeks ago in, in <clears throat> just getting to Russell and, and really troubling them and, and forcing turnovers, and we, we've seen Russell um, throw plenty of turnovers the last couple of weeks. Um, seems to not cop as much criticism as his old... Uh, Andrew Luck, uh, you know, draft mate. But anyway, that's just my Colts bias coming through. But uh, yeah, I, I just can't, I just can't take the Rams plus fifteen. It wouldn't shock me, but I just, you know, I'd rather go down with the Seattle Seahawks here than uh, than the Rams at this point. But uh, as Max said, exciting times for the future in this offseason. I know they've lost a few picks because of the Jared Goff thing, but you know they've still managed to hit on some later round picks uh, here and there. Alec Ogletree comes to mind, and and some other players. Uh, of that calibre, so we'll wait and see how things pan out for the Rams and what direction they go with head coach. Um, and uh, thanks, Max, for uh, for joining the show and making your debut.
0: Thank for having me; it's been the best.
1: I love LA it. All right, let's move on to the next bit of news. After that, great, I love LA. Great song, love it. Uh, all right, ESPN's Jeff Darlington reports that there is definitely a cautious sense of internal optimism. Very. You know, you know, very uh, nicely crafted sentence from Darlow there, uh, that Ryan Tannehill, uh, who has an ACL and MCL sprain, could return for the postseason. Um, it's not that far-fetched that he will return. What's more far-fetched, I think, is the Dolphins being in the postseason because they obviously have to qualify first. But there's still every bit of a chance at being 8-5. and five. But uh, can you see the Dolphins, you know, making, making the playoffs and, and maybe possibly, you know, winning a playoff game with Ryan Tannehill?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think you look at at what Miami's got going on and and certainly very interesting, by the way, I tweeted this during the game. The Dolphins should be the best team in rain in the NFL as Dolphins natural habitat is in water. Um, but the Dolphins traveling to take on the jets this week. Um, you know, I, I don't, I don't know how they lose that game. I mean, honestly, I mean, if you're, if you're being practical, so I mean, that puts them at nine wins on the season and then they've got a game in Buffalo and then a game at home against new England to, to follow things up. And So this really comes down to, can you beat the Buffalo Bills? And I think, um, I mean, without Ryan Tannehill, that's a little bit more of a tall order. And, you know, Rex Ryan is, is, you know, we just talked about Jeff Fisher, sort of the same in that he just lives to spoil, uh, doesn't really do anything on his own. Uh, And so I think that's going to be a tough game. But I just see, you look at what Le'Veon Bell just did in Buffalo, that could be an enormous game for Ajay as the Dolphins try to get to the double-digit mark on wins for the season.
1: Yeah, exactly. And look, Matt Moore's not a bad backup quarterback, but I just... I'm not sure if he can carry them enough to get them over the hump, but uh, on their day, that you know, I know that loss to the Ravens, especially the, given what the Ravens just you know, put up on Thursday, uh, Monday Night Football, it, it's tough to really see them making a splash. But you know, you just you just don't know on their day. Um, we've seen them put it together with J.J. and Ryan Tannehill, but uh, I just I'm not sure if uh, if they can sneak into the playoffs. I really think that that final wild card position is going to be occupied by uh, possibly the Ravens or the Steelers, although Cincinnati are playing spoiler right now and uh, much improved. But uh, that's it for the NFL news. Let's get uh, into some uh, Week 14 takeaways. Very LA-heavy theme today with some music and whatnot. But uh, let's get straight into your Cowboys, obviously uh, losing against the Giants, but You know, the topic for me is what is it about these Giants that seem to be getting to Dak Prescott and this Cowboys offense because, uh, you know, uh, taking out the Vikings game aside, which is a really, 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 really great defense, that's probably been their two worst performances of the year offensively have been against the Giants.
2: That's true. And and you look at it And the Vikings, I think one of the top defenses in the NFL, we certainly regard them in that light. And I think the Giants are are flirting, flirting with that, you know, sort of buying the first drink uh, type of flirting, not not anything serious (laughs) yet. But I mean, Steve Spagnuolo is one hell of a defensive coordinator and somebody who knows the Cowboys well and the way Jason Garrett operates very well. And I mean, specifically looking at this game, obviously I think week one is, is a bit of a, I don't want to say an outlier, but it's week one, Dak Prescott, Zeke Elliott, their NFL debuts, but this game, Dak Prescott was not helped by anything. Des Bryant had what is easily his worst game of the season. Scott Linehan called what I think is his worst game of the season. Jason Garrett went from uh, a notion of particular boldness going forward on fourth down to complete conservatism. I mean, and the the Cowboys, I mean, really left Dak with nobody at points in time. Lance Dunbar was the running back in on, on critical situations. Yeah. That when, confused me. Yeah. It's uh, it's a confusing thing. And you look at this and I think ultimately the giants are a great team and you look at what they're able to do, and that's why they're one of the top, actually the top wildcard team in the NFC. And so, and this would be the team if not for the other eleven games that Dak Prescott and the Cowboys have played this season beyond their games against the Giants. They would be the division leaders. And so, this is a uh, you know, you, you look at things like this. You know very well from from your experience as a Colts fan that there are sometimes just a team that uh, then has your quarterback or your team's numbers and, and it seems like the giants maybe uh we talked about kryptonite earlier Dak Prescott's kryptonite to a degree
1: yeah i uh, i can see that being the case it's just weird i i just don't see the giants as that good of a team i really worry about Eli Manning but um i think you're right i think that defense is has got to be considered as one of the one of the top 5 you know top 10 if not top 5 units in the NFL um i know the statistics probably won't Back that up with some games early on in the season, but the way they're trending, they're they're a tough team to play. And uh, you know if they can get some sort of offense rolling with with Eli Manning, because look, let's be honest, like all they did was turn a sl- was OBJ turning a slant into a long touchdown. Otherwise, you guys probably win that game. They couldn't get the ball moving at all. But it is it is really interesting that you mentioned you know Jason Garrett getting conservative and and you've spoken to him during the weeks with your work uh, over there at ESPN in San Antonio uh firstly did did you ask him about that and secondly what's what's it like talking to him every week because um that must be a really good experience for you
2: uh well um i mean I, i'm very fortunate and very blessed and and had the opportunity to win a competition that they put on uh, called rock the mic and so yeah it's uh i mean it it is it's as big of a blessing as it sounds and um, it, it, takes a lot of restraint not to ask him the, the things I tweet during his press conferences, like why he, he wears all of his jewelry on his left hand, um, and leaves his right hand free. But, you know, uh, but it is really cool. And, uh, you know, like if, if you ask, a, you know, I'll, i ask a question and, and sort of give a thought and he'll say, you're right. And I want to be like, are you, are you serious? You know, I'm, I'm right. So it's a, a cool thing. But, um, you know, you, you have to be a little bit, uh, you know, uh, sort of, uh, careful but strategic when asking Jason Gerson because he's a very robotic type of answer I mean he he'll give you a day day by day thing all the time and so you can't come out and ask him why he was went conservative but something that did puzzle me like we talked about was why Lance Dunbar was in there so much and so I asked him and I asked him if he thought that Lance Dunbar had a particular advantage against the Giants or something and he said that the reason they had Lance Dunbar on there was because they were in a lot of two-minute situations and that Lance Dunbar has shown a proclivity to be good in that. I think you think back to week one, 2015, and that kind of I, – I think that, that small comment made me think a lot about the game, that the Cowboys at least felt like they were in two-minute situations a lot, and that could explain a lot of why Dak was continually flustered. I mean, they mm. never really – had a chance to to completely and totally gel into the normalcy of a game because they felt rushed and at a two-minute pace so often and so frequently, which is evidenced by Lance Dunbar's presence on the field over the NFL's leading rusher.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely interesting, and one of the major talking points that's probably all over Undisputed and First Take this week is is Tony Romo and and Dak Prescott, and I know a lot of people in Texas are probably talking about that right now and you know i tweeted something during the game and and it was more just because i miss romo so much but i don't think you know benching dak prescott after you know a a couple of bad weeks is 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 right for the organization moving forward as good as tony romo is do you agree or disagree or do you do you actually think that maybe romo should be seeing some time
2: i love romo more, more than anything in this world um well you know maybe more than like A few things, but I I have a great, great deal of love for the man and what he means to this team and what he means to me. I've written about that before, but you know, I've, I've believed all season long in playing the better quarterback and, and a wise person once told me that opinions change as data changes, as the status quo changes. And so my opinion originally was play Tony Romo because that's who I believed was the best quarterback. Now I believe Dak Prescott to be the best quarterback. And so, you know. I love and I'm extremely proud and, and humbled to be a member of Cowboys nation, but this is a fan base that is just ridiculously spoiled. I mean, to call for Dak Prescott after he loses a game and he plays, he plays two bad games. I mean, one mediocre game, one bad game. And, and, and now this has extrapolated the, the hate, if you will, on Dak to include Thanksgiving and Thanksgiving. That's what's absurd to me. People lumped Thanksgiving into Dak Prescott's poor games because he didn't have an incredible box score. But I think we all agree Dak Prescott was fine on Thanksgiving. Yes, 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 he was. After Minnesota, nobody had a problem. This is absurd that one loss has spooked um, a fan base to the degree that they're calling for Tony Romo, which is actually poetic because – Tony Romo's whole career, it's been everything goes wrong and turned to Romo at the last minute to save everything. When Romo gave his heartfelt press conference, we all sensed this this you know, this feeling that this man was never appreciated enough. And here we are, not having learned that lesson at all, because the first game that Dak Press got lost since then, we are ready to yeah, you know not appreciating it's, Dak. <laughs> it's insane. Yep. It's insane.
1: Uh look. If look, I agree. I think. Uh, t- look, the game against the Giants was pretty bad from Dak Prescott. I'll um, I'll, I'll put that out there. I think it was it was probably his worst game. But hey, he's a rookie. Like, what do you like? It's a rookie game. It's it's what you expect, and you you can't everything can't be sunshine and roses all the time for a rookie quarterback in the NFL, no matter how good the for situation.
2: Any, for any quarterback, let alone a rookie, you know what I mean? Exactly. Like, it's
1: yeah, it is insane. But if we get Two or three more weeks of this, then I think maybe you could start. To, like I'm talking, Giants bad. Like if he plays like he did against the Giants in the next two three weeks, then I, I guess that that those questions might actually have a little bit more substance to it than it actually is right now. But to call for Tony Romo right now, I think uh, is insane. And uh, I only I only tweeted out because I just I miss Romo so much, and uh, you know it stirs a few people up. You know, gotta. Go to rattle the feathers of a few people up on Twitter. <laughs>
2: you're you're allowed. You're you're exempt from from all that. But yeah. <laughs> um. But you're, you're right. But uh, no. The point that I want to stress is you're right in the degree if Dak had games similar to the Giants game for two or three more weeks. But the point that is important is that that would happen to any starting quarterback exactly. that is not unique to Dak because Tony Romo is his backup. That is the the way any starting quarterback in the NFL would be treated. And we refuse to acknowledge Dak in that light as a starting quarterback of a team in the NFL.
1: Yep. And I think he is, you know, and so's, and so will Tony Romo next year. Both of them will be starting quarterbacks in the NFL next year. um, And we'll (laughs) wait and see where, where that will be. All right, let's move on to our other topic before, uh, before we run out of time. But like this, we talked about this the uh, the uh, Seattle Seahawks earlier, and their op- their opponent, the Packers. Uh, they they absolutely put on a show, and so did the Steelers. And so these two teams, I call them the danger teams. So we've got the Steelers and the Packers, and they put they put the AFC and the NFC heavyweights on notice. Um, if they make the playoffs with their performance, Aaron Rodgers and Le'Veon Bell put on shows, and they showed you why that they're considered the best players in the entire NFL. Should uh, the, the AFC and NFC heavyweights fear these two teams if they make the playoffs?
2: I think that the AFC should be more on guard against Pittsburgh than than the NFC with the Packers. I mean, we've seen the Steelers do this a little bit more commonly, granted sporadically, across the season. I, you know, I think back to the Kansas City game. What was that? Week two, I think, Sunday Night Football. Yeah, um, they did that with Al Levin. So, exactly. It, actually, I think that was his return game, maybe. But I, actually, I could it might have been.
1: I'll look that up um, while you talk. <laughs>
2: But uh, either way, I mean, the Steelers, I think if, if if I were any team, I'd be more scared of them. The Packers, this just felt like the Packers broke out for the first time. This was really the first sort of uh, indication that the Packers could be back. And I'm not ready to buy that, particularly because, you know, to the point we mentioned earlier, I don't know how great the Seahawks are now. So, I mean, are the Packers truly that great or are they just capable of beating a, a Seahawks team who's recently lost Earl Thomas? Um, so, I and and plus, the AFC is a little bit more wide open. It's, you know, the sort of goodish Patriots, the Raiders who just lost a, a step, and the Chiefs who we don't know if they can hang on and did lose to the Steelers. I think the Steelers are more of a threat to their respective conference.
1: Yeah, I, I probably agree with that sentiment. And it, and you're right, it was Le'Veon Bell's first game back. But even then, first game back, although he did not show any rust, I feel like he's better now than he was back there when he first started. Um, I th- I feel like he's... He's rolling on all cylinders, but I feel like the Steelers, and it seems to become a trope every year that, you know, the Steelers are a team you do not want to play in the playoffs, but it's correct. It's a trope for a reason because it happens every year. This, this dynamic trio in big Ben, Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell is you've got, you know, the best at their respective positions in, in two, two of those things. I, I, Look, Levion might not be the best, but I'm talking... You, you can make the case for Brown and Antonio at being the best at their position. You could even make a case for Big Ben, really, if you really get down to it on his day. For sure. Um, so that's why that, that offense is so potent and why teams are fearing them. And look, I think last year, if Antonio Brown plays at Denver, they probably, um, you know, face New England in that AFC Championship game and we could have a whole different Super Bowl, a whole different result, and a whole different story. So... I I think that the Steelers are are definitely a dangerous team to watch, and Le'Veon Bell is just playing out of this world right now, and I'm so scared because I play him in my fantasy semifinal this weekend. Um, (laughs) But looking at the NFC side, uh, I know you've been a bit low on the Packers watching your live stuff the last few weeks. I know you mentioned that you weren't really scared of them as a Dallas Cowboys fan, but how much did that win sort of change change it for you a little bit?
2: I mean... Look, at the end of the day, Aaron Rodgers is Aaron Rodgers, and, and I do think they've been down collectively this season. But, I mean, it was impressive. It certainly raised your eyebrows, um, the, the dominance that they displayed. But, you know, the, the Seahawks get this rap That is true that they're a different team at home and on the road. I think the Packers are the same. Lambeau Field, I mean, I, I can't even remember all of the ridiculous stats we've heard, how Aaron threw seven million passes without a interception at Lambeau and, and, and all these sorts of things. Yeah. And so, Lambeau Field. You're talking about a, a team that's great there and a team that's bad on the road. Uh, I'm I'm curious, and and I think I need to see it again from the Packers just to understand that they really are that team versus last week being an inflation and an otherwise down season for them.
1: Yep, and they might they might have left their their run a little bit too late here to to really push for it. But with three division games, the, their fate is really in their own hands, especially when they play the Lions and the Lions uh, play you guys as well. So there is a chance that they can sneak into into the playoffs either as a wild card or as the division winner so we'll wait and see but I think that that offense now is is really rolling on all cylinders and Demarius Randall being back for their secondary makes things a little bit easier rather than just complete tire fire there uh, for opposing teams so he makes makes a world of difference so their opponent obviously is the Seattle Seahawks I find them really really hard to judge right now I don't know what to think of the Seattle Seahawks because the, the game against Tampa, like I kind of expect maybe one game down the stretch where they put up a little bit of a, a bad performance, but you just kind of expect them to to, co- to go in and win that game against what we thought was a really bad Green Bay defense, but they made Green Bay's defense look so much better than it is. And now that's two out of the last three weeks where they've been really, really bad. And since since beating the Patriots, they haven't been that impressive.
2: No, and I think Seattle, because of the their little mini dynasty, whatever you want to call them, there's sort of this this opportunity to make a statement. There's sort of this barometer for teams to measure their own worth. And so I think Seattle gets teams, you know, teams get up to play the Seahawks. And I think that happened with the Bucks, obviously, because, it, you know, you're the lowly Bucks taking on the, the mighty Seattle Seahawks. And, and I think this was an opportunity for the Packers to, uh, to sort of get back on the map. This, you know, the, the performance that C- the Seattle Seahawks had against the Packers was very reminiscent of the 2014 NFC championship game, except they weren't able to pull it out in heroic fashion. Mm. This team, this team is, is a, is a question mark. I agree with you. And it, yeah, it's, it's, it's an incredibly correct. difficult thing to, to play at the level that they have for as long as they have. We're going on what five seasons now of this, this era of Seahawks football. And, this might be, I think, the worst team in, in those five years, at least at this point. And um, you know, I, I don't. You, you've always felt watching them since 2012 that that they had a chance that they could beat anybody. They they seem pretty formidable now, or excuse me, not formidable at all. They seem like they could be beaten even by a team like the Bucks.
1: Yep, um, I, I agree with you about the the, the uh, team as a whole, uh, bec- especially without El Thomas. I feel like that's huge and. I feel yeah. like that's going to be an overreaction this week, and it already has been, that this is the defense now without Earl Thomas. But a lot of that was just Aaron Rodgers playing out of his mind. That first touchdown throw was just insane. But it it, it obviously is a concern without Earl Thomas. That's a, that's a massive hole. But on the other side of the ball, you know, Russell Wilson has not, not been ideal. Uh, the team scored a total of 15 points in its last two road games in – Wilson's accounted for one touchdown and seven interceptions during that span. Uh, you know, he needs to get cops and criticism for that. I know he's playing behind a makeshift offensive line, but, you know, that's that's not good. Uh, you know, on the other side of the coin, Andrew Luck's been playing behind a you know makeshift offensive line all season. Same with Russell Wilson. He would get absolutely killed for performances like that.
2: Yeah, and, you know, Russell Wilson is sort of this, you know, corporate schmo that we... Kind of refused to to ever really talk about, but you're right. I mean, he's been bad. It, it's not that he he's been struggling. He's has been bad, and he was bad in that 2014 NFC Championship game. But like awful. that game was ma- was that that was masked by the fact that they won. He's always had something to mask uh, his inefficiencies. And, and I, I mean, Russell has been. Bad. I think all these things are starting to catch up to the Seahawks. And by all these things, I mean you know Marshawn retiring was weird. Uh, Thomas Rawls hasn't really been. You know what they thought he was going to be to the to the degree they needed him to be. Jimmy Graham, obviously, we know that hasn't worked out. I mean, the Seahawks have been this team that has thrived off of a, a different recipe, and it's finally not working to the dominant level we've seen it work for so long.
1: Yeah, and look, the the next three games are uh, are against uh, losing squads, and and it's going to be probably going to help them, and and everyone will sort of forget about this type of performance because they will make the playoffs. But they are, you know, behind Detroit for the two seed and just half a game up on Tampa and Atlanta for the third seed. So, um, you know, a home, not a home, but they're definitely going to have a home playoff game to, to start with. But wh- whoever their opponent is, um, you know, must think that they've got a good chance to go in and win that game. But it is hard to judge a team like that because you talk about their mini dynasty and how good they've been over the last few years, especially down the stretch. It, it's an interesting conundrum in like how you judge a team on what you're seeing on the field, and then what you've come to expect, and what the history of, the, of this certain team does to you. That's why I find myself pulling in two different directions because I I want to say the Seattle Seahawks are not good football team, but then like it's not going to shock me if they if they win you know two or three playoff games because it's just it, it's that's why I find it just so hard. to pull my hair out at, at how I rate this team right now.
2: Yeah. And, you know, it's it's heavy on, on my mind this week, but you kind of describing what I think people feel about Tony Romo, you know, and that's kind of how it feels. It feels like, you know, you think they could be this magical thing, but right now all signs point to the contrary. You know, it, yeah. it's hard. Like you said, it's an, uh, an imperfect balance that you're, you're torn in both ways. You're torn in both directions. It, are are they true? Because you feel like you trust them to be the Seattle Seahawks, but they week in and week, in, week, in and week out aren't.
1: It's yeah, weird. and they can't be the Seattle Seahawks forever, you know. Exactly, the Seattle Seahawks for, forever, and the Tony Romo thing's right. Like we could be calling for Tony Romo, right? And you know he hasn't thrown a pass in the NFL in in forever, so who knows what that would be when he eventually steps onto the field? It, it's just it is a interesting dynamic for for those two franchises and those two narratives and and, and topics this week. Uh, we'll move on to the Browns now. Uh, a little bit of a change of pace here. Uh, for 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 me, watching RG three play, he was absolutely brutal. Uh, they they lost by ten, but you know he was twelve of twenty eight for one hundred and four yards and an interception. At one point, he was three of twelve for twenty four yards. It it was awful. And you know now it's been three hundred and sixty five days since they last had a victory. And the quarterback for that game, of course, was Johnny Manziel, which just would make the Browns fans even more furious. But what what's the solution for them at the quarterback position and going forward over this next month? Because I don't know if they really should be playing RG three. I think you've seen enough now to know that he should not be on your roster, let alone be a starting quarterback for you next season.
2: It's difficult. I mean, you know, we we spoke with Max earlier about the state of the Rams. Obviously, a very different situation, but there, there's hope there. There's seemingly young talent. There's there's an idea for a future. There, there is nothing but. But a question mark at the the most important position in the sport on this team, and it's been there forever. And th- it just th- it it th- it has this air of sadness. The, the Browns are Eeyore. I don't know if you've ever read or watched Winnie the Pooh. Yes, uh, I, I have. The,
1: I am familiar. But
2: um, <laughs> but the Browns are Eeyore in that they're just destined for this not not even mediocrity, but just this this horrible life i mean they had a sign that the browns fans in the dog pound that said we still have lebron that's kind of all it is i mean it's just this mentality of that's all we got and that's really all we need because everything else sucks and i mean i know people have suggested this to a point and this isn't you know a real draft analyst opinion but take a quarterback every every year at some point something's got to work out um but but you're right rg3 is not that i mean there needs to be an investment made here, and I don't think to the categorically large, you know, level we saw the Rams and Eagles make. But, but I mean, you have to invest here. You have to try because right now you're not trying. You're just falling and falling and falling. It, it's sad and it's hurtful to watch.
1: It is uh, definitely interesting, and uh, you know, uh, the voice of EO. Uh, has been voiced by uh, seven different people this uh, so far in its history. I think that's the amount of starting quarterbacks the Browns have had this season. So interesting connection. Do they have to eat?
2: Do they have a? Sh- do they have a jersey in like the Wendy the Pooh offices that has all the names of the people? That <laughs> yes.
1: Their tenure is a little bit longer. I think it's just because people have died. Uh, that's why. Uh, that's how they got replaced. So a little bit more uh, dramatic and sad. Um, rather than a makeshift uh, we need the, maybe you could pin the names on the uh, on the tail of, uh, of the donkey there. And, uh, eat, oh, that's a little bit dark, but anyway, um, good Winnie the Pooh reference from yourself. I, I just want to mention as well, from the side topic on on the Browns, is what's Terrell Pryor doing to upset like all these cornerbacks? Because Generous Jenkins came out and was tweeting furiously at uh, Terrell Pryor, however badly spelt and grammar it was, just horrible from. From Jenkins, terrible, and then he backs it up and plays phenomenal against you guys, which is, must be annoying. Um, and oh. then, and now you've got Adam Jones referring to Terrell Pryor as trash and looking for him inside a trash can in the locker room, and would only talk about questions, you know, from journalists that were only about Terrell Pryor, no other questions. I only want to talk about Terrell Pryor, and Terrell Pryor seems like he's all right, like seems like a good dude in press conferences and and Twitter and everything like that. But so, what is he doing it to, to really <laughs> off these? these corners
2: i mean i don't know this is a, a wild guess but maybe they just don't like that maybe they're insulted by the fact that he thinks he can just play wide receiver you know maybe they're sick of you know the guy went to the ohio state he's, he's you know he's more known than, than half of the nfl just off his collegiate resume alone yep. and, and so maybe they're just annoyed with who maybe they, they view him as this sort of you know similar to johnny Manziel. you know just kind of this this personality versus this player and they just don't respect what he is. I I don't know. I mean, unless he, yeah, unless he just has the foulest mouth in in a game, which I think we would have understood at this point, but yeah, I mean, who who knows?
1: Yeah. And that's fine. That's why I like, I'm a fan of, of, of players that can talk trash on the field and then just switch off, off the field. And, you know, we, uh, in our national rugby league down here, there's a player called Michael Ennis and he is known as one of the dirtiest players in the game. But, um, when he's off the field and on Fox sports and everything like that, he answers questions really, really good and very articulate and, and things like that, but just talks really trash and gets in people's heads. And I I guess Richard Sherman's probably similar. And I love Richard Sherman. I find him fascinating. I find him very intelligent. Um, I listen when he speaks and, I I don't know. Maybe that's what Terrell does, which is fine. But it, you know, he comes off looking smarter because Terrell, you know, at Pacman Jones just looks like a, an absolute moron. Um, after the yeah. game, even though I find it hilarious, and I really want more players to refer to trash cans and other, you know, rubbish storing, you know, facilities when referring to opposition players, because I find it entertaining than the the Russell Wilson-esque, uh, you know, cliched answers to, to questions
2: absolutely and, and you're right especially the the trash can thing like it's obviously kind of kind of cheesy and kind of <laughs> yeah. kind of cliche but like the yeah the cartoonishness of it is pretty cool
1: uh as well uh talking about you know players going off after the game what did you think of akeeb Talib mentioning that he will uh you know he will find Harry Douglas in Atlanta and uh beat his ass uh I thought uh was a funny but also kind of scary because like if keep Aq- Talib says that I actually think he was gonna he's going to do it
2: Yeah, Akib Talib's a different different deal here, and 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 didn't he say something about like his uh, his agent or or
1: something? They have the same agent, so uh, normally when you have the same agent, sometimes your agent sets up. You know, you can work out with you know players that you you're all, you know. So I imagine that they've probably worked out in the past, Harry Douglas and Akib Talib, because they're managed by the same guy. So um, I think they're referring to possibly meeting in Atlanta and doing what they did in the past off season or whatnot, but. I don't know, I keep to leave. I find him hilarious, but he scares the living daylights out of me. If I'm Harry Douglas, and Harry Douglas did not st- step down, he didn't apologize or anything. He said that's how he plays the game, which doesn't make it any less, you know, brutal. That was a, It was a stupid hit, and it was dangerous. It was probably the dirtiest hit I've seen in a long time.
2: Yeah, and you're provoking somebody who is both stupid enough to and willing to apparently shoot himself so i mean this is you're right i mean somebody that i i don't want to mess with because if he's he's you know able to or unafraid to inflict that much pain on himself i mean i don't want to fight him
1: (laughs) couldn't agree more all right let's move on to our last topic and uh this is coaches on the hot seat uh obviously we just talked about Jeff Fisher and and the firing there uh, in in Los Angeles, first off the rank, first coach fired. We waited so long. But now we've got some other coaches on the hot seat, and we'll start with Gus Bradley. Report surfaced early Sunday morning that—sorry, we'll start with Rex Ryan. Report surfaced early Monday morning that uh, Rex Ryan may be fired by the Bills sometime soon, and it shouldn't be considered too much a surprise, even before the season started. You know, there was rumors around that he was on his last legs there and he seems to be clashing with Doug Whaley. And Anthony Lynn's done a hell of a job there when he's filled in for Greg Roman. So do you think the Bills should move on from Rex Ryan or do you think he deserves to be fired? Obviously, I don't think he's going to be fired tomorrow, but possibly, you know, Black Monday is looming for uh, the old uh, sexy Rexy.
2: Yeah, I mean, I feel a few ways about this, and one of them is that I love the Buffalo Bills organization, and Rex has never felt like a Bills coach. You know, he just ne- never really – he fit the Jets' MO, uh, but he doesn't really fit the Bills' MO. And, you know, similar – we, we talked Jeff Fisher and how he's the, the first one fired. Jeff Fisher skating off of the Super Bowl appearance he had with the Tennessee Titans forever ago. What what has Rex Ryan done other than his first two years with the Jets? That that makes you confident in him as an NFL head coach.
1: Man, uh, he made Mark Sanchez have a winning record in the playoffs.
2: I mean, I guess that's true. <laughs> but, I mean, Rex Ryan at this point is all – and we talk cartoonish. That's all he is. He's all shtick. He's yeah. all bit. And, and that's I all he is. I would watch a Rex Ryan cartoon, though. Oh, I mean, of course. I would – I want Rex Ryan to fight a Keeb Tlaib in a cartoon. That's <laughs> what I really want. But, I mean – Rex, at this point, with the the talent that the Bills seemingly have and the step backwards that they've taken on defense under his reign, th- there's no excuse for that. And I think that it's time for Rex to go resume his rightful role as a defensive coordinator somewhere.
1: Yeah, I uh, I think that makes sense. Um, look, I'd happily have him as a defensive coordinator in Indianapolis because we need a change there, and I'll speak about that in a second. But uh, I really think Anthony, Anthony Lynn should definitely be considered for this head coaching job because he was actually, and it was really weird last season when all these head coaches were going for interviews, his name kept popping up. And we're thinking, who is this Anthony Lynn guy that keeps getting interviewed? But the proof's in the pudding. They're the number one rushing team in the NFL, and I know they didn't quite do it last week, and it's a bad time to talk about it, but he's done a heck of a job. And uh, maybe if things don't go well this week, maybe they give Lynn a two-game trial at the the end of the season and just get him comfortable in that job. Before they can hit the ground running next season, I, like that wouldn't surprise me.
2: No, and it's worth it. I mean, it, at this point, we, we talk about that. We say, oh, you know, the season's over for you, whatever. But I don't, I don't know that I believe in that happening because Rex Ryan will get that opportunity to spoil the Dolphins. He'll do whatever he can yeah. to get an opportunity to spoil the Dolphins' chance at the playoff, and and he'll have considered this season an accomplishment. Yeah, I, to... I mean, Rex Ryan also, I mean, is is still living for. The season finale against the Jets, and, and that's why he shows up to work every day to beat the Jets in week seventeen. We're fully pregnant now.
1: Yeah. Uh, if uh, if they do fire Rex, do they fire Rob as well?
2: Oh, of course. I, in fact, I would fire Rob first. I, I would. I would make. Just I would to make see Rex, Rex to, lose his crap. <laughs> yeah, I, I would make Rex have to fire Rob, and then when he sulked his way back into Ooh, his office. Oh man, that is that is hot for you. That is
1: great. That is. Uh... I can tell you watch Survivor because that would be a very uh, you know you love watching the drama and uh, and raw human emotions. Imagine watching that. Uh, actually, sounds like a Black Mirror episode. You know, trying to you have to fire your brother from your uh, NFL career. Um, all exactly. right, all right. Gus Bradley, um, he's pretty much as good as gone in Jacksonville. They're two and eleven. They've lost their eighth consecutive. So I think Shad Khan pretty much is going to give Brad, Bradley, and uh, David Caldwell their walking orders very very shortly. Uh, what's a logical uh, you know, replacement you can see in Jacksonville uh, you know, given what they have there and what pieces they have?
2: Look, this is really popular, and it's probably more narrative-driven than anything, but I don't care. I, I'm a student of NFL history and a fan of poetry and a fan of things that seem to be destiny. Put Tom Coughlin in Jacksonville, and let's finish what he started. All right, Tom Coughlin to the Jaguars. Everybody will have to be five minutes early to be on time. Michael Strahan will complain about it. Uh, I want to see Tom Coughlin come back. And, and, you know, you think about it, the Cowboys play, excuse me, the well, the Cowboys, but the Giants play the AFC South in 2018. Ooh. If Tom Coughlin si- signed on next season, we all know Tom Coughlin has a beef with, with the G-Men still. Poor. That would be epic.
1: Plus, a lot of people his age go down to Florida and you know buy a condo and retire. So Jacksonville's you know right it's a, it's a logical next step towards fully retirement from from anything you can uh, exactly you, you know once you leave Jacksonville when the job's done you can pretty much just walk down the street to Miami and then just step step straight into your South Beach condo and and make that face even more red somehow. <laughs> yeah,
2: basically, yeah, the anti cold red. <laughs> yes.
1: All right. The last one is uh, these two here: Mike McCoy and Chuck Pagano. They're two names that should be fired, but it wouldn't be shocked if their owners, who have no clue whatsoever, um, would de- would decide otherwise.
2: First of all, on Chuck Pagano, I've been waiting to make this joke the entire episode. You went and saw Cold Play last night. You're yes. an Indianapolis fan. You are a fan of Colts play. Um, wow. So <laughs> I'm I'm glad I'm glad I was able to make that. Yeah, Chuck Pagano. Look. And and you, you you are the you champion this this uh, this narrative more than anybody. He's a nice guy, cool. I, I want to give Chuck Pagano a hug. I don't want him coaching my football team. Exactly. Uh, I mean, you know, he wants to come over. We, we can marathon the Harry Potter movies over a weekend. Fine, but I do not want him coaching my football team. I, I feel like the Colts, kind of like the Seahawks, we talked about. I, I always I just felt like I feel like the AFC South belongs to them. And so I don't like the flux that they're in. I don't like how he has seemingly trapped Andrew Luck. Um, Get Chuck Pagano out of there, please.
1: Yes, I I, I like uh, that you brought up that because I I look at Chuck Pagano and NFL coaches like my doctor, right? I I don't care if my doctor is the most vicious, rude, arrogant, unlikable person in the world, but if they're a really, really good doctor, I will keep going to them because they do a good job. And I don't want my doctor to give me a hug and and pump me up, and and not do a good job, I'd rather go to someone that's going to, you know, give me the best care, and look after me, and know that I'm safe, and, and will get the best out of me, and, and my health, and they're not doing that with Andrew Luck, with Chuck Pagano, no. and Ryan Grigson.
2: No, it, it's a it's a shame, um, and, and it feels like the Colts, and, and I hate to say this for you, because we're, we're good pals, but it feels like the Colts are willing to go with you know, a Rex Ryan should it be fine, and maybe not Rex Ryan in particular, but just a big name like that, a former yeah. head coach, a, a, and and go that direction. I, I'd love to see like a Josh McDaniels get his hands no, on it. No, thank you. No, thank you. I know. I, 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 get I don't. It,
1: I don't like. Uh, I don't like the track record of New England staffers outside yeah. of New England. It's it's really scary when you look at the numbers. How bad the drop off is when you when you step outside of Bill Belichick's shadow. How how bad and how scary it is out on your own.
2: What's scarier for you, though, the thought that Josh McDaniels could wind up the head coach of the Colts or the notion that you could be looking for a head coach and Jeff Fisher is available and oh, seemingly an no. option for your no, own?
1: I, I feel like Donald Trump's going to wrap up Jeff Fisher, the Secretary of State, by the time. Uh, but, <laughs> my, but this is assuming that Jim Irsay fires Chuck Pagano, which I, I just can't see him doing that. The guy walked in to get fired and got a four-year deal. So who would you,
2: who would you want of who's likely going to be available? I mean, in, in your perfect mind, who would you want? You do know, know obviously I, do I,
1: who I think's putting a, a good job and doing a good job. And, you know, when you look at their defense and where they're ranked, it's, it sounds insane, but I think Terrell Austin's done a hell of a job with yeah. the lions, man, with their personnel and their players and what they've got there. I, I've always liked Terrell Austin as a coach. And, We need to up our defense. Chuck Pagano was brought in as a defensive mind, and our defense has never been good. Never, ever been good with him. And I feel like Terrell Austin would be the logical choice. Um, I would love Jim Harbour, obviously, and that's a huge name, but I feel like he won't leave Michigan until his job's done. I feel like he feels he can win a national championship there, and I think until he does, I feel like he won't come back to the nfl we'll wait and see what that right deal would be to get him swayed over but i feel like andrew Luck could be a really good chess piece in that in that negotiation uh by the way i forgot to mention i like jim bob cooter as a as a head coaching coordinator uh candidate for the jags uh, someone that could be so all to... lions <laughs> yes all yeah i'm all li- i like their coaching staff uh, i don't think it is all jim caldwell obviously but i think cooter could do a good job in fixing uh uh, um, Blake Bortles and doing a job with their offense, and because that's what's been the problem. The Jags' defense has actually been pretty decent all year, despite the two and eleven record. But uh, I don't know what what we're going to see. Uh, this is assuming Chuck Pagano gets fired. I just can't see it happening. In terms of Mike McCoy and 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 the Chargers, given that they're probably moving, they may not. They may go down the Rams' approach and just say, you know, we need some stability in our move. Let's not fire Mike McCoy, and I think that's going to be a wrong decision as well
2: what if the the chargers go the full rams approach and say we're moving we need to have a coach who's done it before done it twice we'll get jeff fisher we're going to play in the coliseum before the stadium is ready he knows this what what if jeff fisher ended up the coach of the chargers in the same stadium you know uh in the same city how amazing would that be it
1: would it would be amazing <laughs> but at the same time i wouldn't like the chargers anymore it would turn me off the right. chargers but imagine they imagine chuck pagano gets fired and then reunites with his brother down in san diego the Pagano brothers, Ooh. the great you know like the great that. Italian brothers since uh, Mario and Luigi, just uh, coming up, great success story. I like it. Yep. All right. Well, uh, <laughs> that got very uh, Bill Simmons-ish at the end there, where he just you know has thousands of trade proposals. You know, what if the Cavs send this, this, and this, <laughs> and you know the Colts can get this, and then LeBron. But that's uh, always fun. That's what I like about the off season, and we're, we're nearing that. Um, when you're a Colts fan and the playoffs are not in sight, you you start to your mind wanders and you start to vision what you hope could be a good off season for you. And a lot of teams are like this. I know the Browns fans are are interested. And in a friend of ours, who's been on the show a few times, Scott Langford's already started draft breakdown because the Philly. Season has just turned to absolute crap um, the last few weeks, and uh, I think Josh will be doing Josh Woot will be doing the same. So um, that's why there's plenty of coach talk there, and uh, we'll uh, we'll be back on uh, Friday to to preview the rest rest of the uh, week fourteen games, and uh, that wraps up the show.
2: Hey, it was fun.
1: It was fun, and uh, you know RJ, I thank you very much for joining the show. And uh, where can people find your hashtag content? And your hashtag brand?
2: Well, I'm available on Twitter at RJOchoa, and every day I have a, a live streaming podcast, if you want to call it that, Ocho Live. We air every day as close vouch to for 3 it. p.m. It's so good. That's true. Yeah, uh, every day as close to 3 p.m. Central Time as we can. Also, following every primetime game and at halftime in post game, every Cowboys game. And we go on about thirty minutes every day uh, on on Twitter and Periscope or on on my Facebook Live. You can add me as your friend, RJ Ochoa. I have Josh and I are friends. Yes. Um, and um, you know we talk about the state of the Cowboys. Or we talk about the state about the NFL. But what's cool is, is it is a podcast that is uh, accessible on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, uh, SoundCloud, and, and Google Play. But you can also watch and you can interact in the comments. So while it is a podcast, it is a live interactive podcast and something um, something that I really like, something that I'm proud of and uh, something I have a lot of fun with when I'm not over at ESPN San Antonio, as you said.
1: Yep. I, uh, I can vouch for it. I love the show. I, uh, I tune in when I can. Um, unfortunately, the time here is in the middle of the day. So if I'm not at work, I'm watching it. And even at work, sometimes I'll just plug the headphones in and, and give it a listen um, I, I can't see you, but I just listen because my eyes are firmly on my work. Um, for any employer listening to this program, I am doing my work you know at a at a, at a jeff Fisher like level. Um, <laughs> I forgot to mention as well. was there any anything from week 14 that I didn't cover there that you mentioned that perked your eyes uh, anything that stood out to you?
2: Um, well, you know, looking at the week um as a as a whole it, it felt it felt like the NFL was back to a degree. Um, and you know, we had talked about this week, uh, all week long, all over the place, all the primetime games, How it was going to be epic and and everything like that. And and if this felt like the NFL, you know, I think Mm. for so long when this, when the season first started, it felt abnormal. It felt weird. It felt like a different season, but this, this felt like the NFL we know and love and we're nearing important times, as you're saying. And we're at a point where there are no college football games. We're waiting on the bowl season. It just felt like, you know, felt like football and fantasy going on. It it was, it was nice. I enjoyed it. Yeah. I think, uh, I think I agree with that. I
1: I feel like the primetime games are really good, and we've had some good games to help it. I still feel like it's a very average year in terms of the uh, in terms of there's no standout teams and and team quality. But uh, when the whole field is is pretty much condensed, and there isn't much difference between the third best team and the seventeenth best team, then um, it, it makes things interesting, especially when there's a lot on the line, and and there's the upsets aren't as surprising as we've come to expect, and down the stretch. A lot of teams having to win out and, and teams can play spoiler. It's going to be interesting uh, down the line. But uh, that wraps up the show. A big thanks to RJ Ochoa for joining the show. You can follow him on Twitter at RJ Ochoa. You can follow me on Twitter at JYNFL. And you can listen to the show on Stitcher, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Wooshka, Radio Hub, any other podcast uh, app or program on any of your smartphones. Thanks, guys. Peace out.